So Lord, we just thank you that we can come as your people and we can come just to worship you, Lord. I thank you that we know that we have relationship as sons and daughters as we've believed in what you've done for us, Lord Jesus, as we've known your spirit at work within us by which we cry out, Abba, Father. But I thank you, Lord, that even as we come, even as we know this relationship, we've just come to put our attention onto you, to be caught up with you, mesmerized by you, to know you and your, your worthiness and your splendor, have a reverence in our heart for you. And I thank you, Lord, that we can focus on you this morning. We can quieten down all the noise all around us. Even things that might have tried to come in with us have to take a back seat because you are first and foremost. I thank you that we can come wondering, is there anything good that we're going to encounter? And I thank you, Lord, for the privilege and the opportunity I have to say, come and see. Come and see the goodness of who our Lord is. And so, Lord, I just pray that you minister your truth to people this morning. Holy Spirit, be at work. I pray for changed lives in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, like I've mentioned, we're going to be in the, the book of Philippians and chapter 4, verse 4. And really we're looking at Paul who's giving this wake-up call to the, to the early church. He's writing them a letter in the midst of all they're surrounded with, the challenge and all they're facing in everyday life. And he's calling them to wake up, to come to attention to something. And it's uh, the key verse in this passage is Philippians 4 verse 4, and here it is. He writes this, and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And you might think, but Paul, you don't know my life. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm facing. You don't know the hardships. You don't know the trials. You don't know the trauma. You don't know what I've had to overcome, Paul. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. But Paul, you don't know me. You don't get me. You haven't experienced this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Where's Paul when he's writing this? Paul's in prison. He's been beaten. He's been stoned. He's been cast away by all. He's been abandoned. He's been shipwrecked. He's been bitten by a viper. He's in prison. He's chained to a guard. He's got no privacy. This guy's always around him. He cannot move away. He is facing death row in a sense. There's a death sentence that Caesar is going to issue, issue over him. And in the midst of that all, all that he's facing... You know, we might be coming and thinking, you know, but I'm having a hard time and maybe I've got a little bit of debt on the credit card and I can't afford the car payment and the rates keep going up and having a bit of a rocky time in marriage or whatever it might be that's going on where we're thinking, but Paul, you don't just, you don't get me. Just think for a moment where Paul is situated when he writes these words, when he pens these words, writing to an early church and a, a people who are surrounded by all that was going on in that day and age where it was quite chaotic in the city of Philippi. And he's writing to them, and in the midst of his own struggle, he's saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. And he's issuing this wake-up call, this alert. He's saying, wake up to this truth. And he's showing us that joy is ha different to happiness. Happiness is based on what's happening around you, the happenings. But joy is something different. Joy has got a, a depth to it. When we look at joy, it's anchored into God himself. 
It's anchored into his identity, his character, his nature, his attributes, not in terms of what's going on around. And what, what the apostle is writing, and he's saying, and he's encouraging, and he's saying, wake up to this truth. Don't be lulled to sleep by what's surrounding you. Don't be diminished by what you might be facing. Don't think less of me and less of yourself because you're going through a hard time. Don't let that cause you to go into a slumber, but awake to the reality of this truth. Don't look for happiness in what's happening, but find joy and be anchored in me. It's what the psalmist says in Psalm 103 when he says, Praise the Lord, my soul. All my innermost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. There are benefits that we have that should release joy in our lives when we focus on who the Lord is. goes on to say in that psalm that he forgives, he heals, he redeems, he crowns, he loves, he's compassionate, he satisfies, he renews us. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. And this is what the Apostle Paul is reminding them of. He's sounding the alarm, as it were, to wake them up to the truth of this fact. And this is just a short passage that we are going through. And we'll get through it quite quickly. But I want to ask this. Are you going to allow the truth of it to get through to you? There's an urgency on Paul. There's, this matters to him. He's saying, wake up. And he's wanting them to understand all that is happening in, in God's reality, not just our temporary reality of what we, we might be facing from a worldly perspective, but the reality of what God's up to, what He's done and what He's doing. He's wanting us to be alert and awake to that, to, to realize the gifts that He's given us so that our perspective might be changed and we might realize the wonder of this relationship we have with the living God. So He's issuing this alarm. Now, maybe you wake up and you're familiar with this sound. Different sort of alarm. So soothing. Just relax. Soak it in for a moment. How many of us here are morning people? You know, that, that alarm sounds and you're up and you're ready for the day. You've got a spring in your step. You've got a song in your mouth and you're ready just to, to find people that are sleeping that you can tickle and, and you're exuberant. How many of you are like that? I saw some hands. I'm a little bit like that. My, my wife has normally done the early lips. Even though I'm a morning person, she did the, the early school lips. I did the afternoon fetching. And then my little fella Mitch came along and it shifted and I started doing the early lips. And I remember the, the, the beginning of this year, or actually it was last year, it's 18 months now. But when I first started picking up with the early lips again, I got in the car and I was excited. Amberly was in the back and Luke was next to me and he was dressed in his, his cute little, uh, don't tell him I said cute about him. He'll be very disappointed. He's my 10-year-old. But he was dressed in his cute little Virginia outfit with the little shorts and there was just this bare thigh sticking out. And so driving, I just snapped and grabbed onto his thigh and I said, boy, aren't you excited to go to school? And he looked at me, and his expression never changed at all, not, not up or down. He just looked at me and said, Dad, I'm not ready for that yet. <laughs> it was too early in the morning for me to engage with him in that way. You see, some of us are morning people, but some of us, that, that sounds annoying, you know. Some of us wake up, and there's other people in my household that can be like this at times. Other people wake up, and they can be angry when they hear that alarm clock. There's, there's like a fight syndrome. You don't want to get too close, because they want to hurt that alarm clock, and break that alarm clock, and throw it at you. 
Maybe you're a little bit like that when that alarm clock sounds. But here is Paul, and he's issuing a different type of alarm. It's a wake-up call. And he's saying, wake up. Come out of slumber. Come out of sleep. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. So there's this, this wake-up call coming. And you know, you can have good wake-up calls and bad wake-up calls. Uh, I remember, well, let me show you a video clip I found of a bad wake-up call of a husband trying to wake his wife up to what looks like a truck that's coming to them in oncoming traffic. Let's see how this goes, if you can play that. Okay, so there's a truck getting towed, and it looks like it's coming at us, and my wife's asleep. So we're going to see if we can scare her. Babe, wake up, there's a truck! I'm sorry, it was funny. My truck. It was getting towed. You heard him trying to apologize. I don't think the apology worked. I think the wake-up call was for him, and it was pretty rough. But you know, sometimes there's wake-up calls like that. I remember I was at a boarding school, and we used to have the common room, which was the through fair to the dining hall. And, uh, you know, the bell would go in the morning. That was our wake-up call. And then all the guys would run because we wanted to get to breakfast and get the hot breakfast first. And what we would often do is we would find some poor victim and we would take them and their bed and we would put it in the middle of the common room. We'd take their cupboards. We'd take their desk. We'd take the pen, put it in the same position, the books, the files. And this poor terrorized little child would wake up with this bell ringing and boys running through what he thought was his room, but was actually the common room, to get to the feeding hall. And so that was a bit of a, a rough wake-up call for some kids. Uh, another wake-up one that I had, wake-up call that was pretty rough, is waking up in Alaska and feeling like everything was moving and shaking. I thought, you know, I'm feeling dizzy. I need to get up, and the whole house was moving. The floor was doing that, and it was a 6.2 earthquake on the Richter scale. That was pretty interesting. Take a moment and just explain to someone next to you for 30 seconds just a rough wake-up that you might have experienced. I've just had the opportunity of flying, as I mentioned, friends, family friends flew us out for a wedding in Germany. I had the joy of officiating it over, over that wedding, and they flew us out business class. So it was quite a, um, a privilege to fly that way, and John and I were next to each other, and we, we got on this plane, and it's the first time I've been in business class, so you can put your, your chair right down like a bed, and it was amazing. And John was in the chair next to me. That little thing wasn't working. It was SAA business class. I'm not picking on them. But anyway... It wasn't working, so we, we could see each other. And anyway, mine was down, and I was sleeping, and my brother is terrified to fly. He's there. He never prays more, and I never pray more than when we are going on a flight together. And so John was next to me, and I, I was sleeping. My bed was down, and we hit turbulence. You know what is scary? It's when you wake up to see someone staring over you <laughs> like that who looks as pale as a ghost with eyes like saucers. I don't think he slept a, a wink through that whole trip. But that was a, a different sort of wake-up call for me. You also get the beautiful wake-up calls. How many of you remember when you were a kid, just the excitement of waking up for Christmas? 
maybe being on holiday and all that was going on, the beach or wherever, the berg, wherever it might be, there was an excitement for that. I had the opportunity of waking up in Switzerland where we had been on a bus and we got through to um, where we were staying. It was dark. We couldn't see the mountains. There had been no snow up to that time. And at four in the morning, someone woke me up. Shane Littleton was with me. I see he, he was he's somewhere around here. And Shane was with me on that trip. And someone woke us up and said, it's snowing. We looked out the window and the snow was falling. It was beautiful. Then the wake-up call went, the bell, and we got up and walked out. And we were in the Jungfrau Valley, the Matterhorn. The snow had fallen. Snowboards were ready. What a beautiful way to wake up. And Paul is issuing this wake-up call. And he's saying, wake up to the beauty. Wake up to the wonder. Wake up to the reality of what we have in Jesus Christ. We need to be alert to that. We need to be awakened to that. We need to be discerning that. It's something that we cannot be sleeping through. We need to come alert to this, embrace it, allow it to change change us and to shape us. And he's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. This word rejoice is mentioned over 11 times through this letter. The word joy over six times. And it's really saying this, always rejoice no matter what the circumstances. Always rejoice no matter what the circumstances. And if you look at it, it's actually him not just inviting you, but this wake-up call is a command. It's in the imperative tense. It's a command that we need to find joy so that we can rejoice. How do you do that? Maybe you're here today and you've been facing things and you say, George, how do I find joy in what I'm going through? And the one way we find joy is to catch sight of what God's been doing. It's to look back and see all that He's done in our past, where we've recognized His blessing, His nearness, His hand, the gifts that He's brought us. And then it's also to look forward and to see all that He has still got in store for us, that we know that we can have relationship with Him, the blessing of knowing this relationship with Him that's stretching on for eternity, and to take cognizance of that. And Paul is saying to the church in Philippi, be aware of this, be alert to this, be alive to this. And it's not an optimistic view versus pessimism. It's not him saying just put on a happy face and, and act like there's joy in this life. It's not him saying it's like Paul has been in this prison and he's been listening to a bit of Tony Robbins DVDs and he's ready to run out and go over coals and run through prison walls. He's not saying there's this fakeness to it. But he's saying there should be this reality of joy in our life. Because joy and happiness are two very different things. Happiness is based on what's happening around you. It's based on the happenings. That's what happiness is based on. But joy is something totally different. Joy is a deep well. You see, happiness is like that thing that springs up and bubbles up when everything else is going well. But joy is that deep well that you can draw from no matter what is going on around you. That is joy. That is scriptural and godly joy. Happiness is conditional. It depends on the conditions. But joy is positional. It comes from knowing I'm positioned as a son or daughter of God. Do you know your position? Because there should be a joy that is springing forth from that. When, you, when there's gratitude in your heart, thanking the Lord for all that He's done, all that He's going to do, an outworking of that is joy, and an outworking of that joy is rejoicing. Because our story gets caught up in His story. And there's something of an eternal value to it, as we've been speaking about. So He's saying, rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again, rejoice. And that word rejoice there is the Greek word kairo, 
and it means gift. He's saying that we should be rejoicing, we should be awakening, we should be able to see this gift that we've been given in Jesus. And there should be a joy that is coming from us, and we should be able to rejoice in that. Maybe you've got steady work. That's a gift. There should be joy in that. You should be able to rejoice. Maybe you've got children. Gift. A son and a daughter that you can have a relationship with. Gift. A wife or a husband. Gift. Friends and family. Relationships. Gift. Maybe you've got things that you own that you can enjoy. Gift. Maybe you've got talents and abilities. Gift. There's all these different gifts that we're given. Pat Lambie, back at health, back in the Springbok team, gift. There's things that should bring us joy and should cause us to rejoice. And Paul is saying, don't lose sight of that. So often we think joy is just based on the luck that people have and that everything's going well for them. That's not scriptural joy. When we want to find scriptural joy that will see us through whatever we might be facing, it's when we're able to learn to rejoice and discern that God is involved and that God is up to something. No matter how bad it can look, God is able to work it to the good. I don't take joy because of that circumstance. I take joy in knowing that God is with me, working in the midst of it, and it's going to turn out good. And I can rejoice because I trust Him and I'm positioned in relationship with Him as a son who is loved with a father whom I love because of the love of what Jesus has done on my behalf. And where's Paul when he's penning these words? He's in prison. I mean, that's a, it's a bad place. He can feel a little bit of anger, and he could be feeling a little bit bitter and sad. But Paul is awake to a different reality. He is re- realizing, I'm not trapped by these chains. I'm not trapped by this individual standing here. I've got a different God than this God. I'm not imprisoned by these walls, but I am free and crossed, and I'm finding joy in that, and I'm going to rejoice in the Lord always. And so I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. Even in his suffering, he's rejoicing. And I want to say joy isn't just when everything's going well. Joy is often formed, established, rediscovered in the midst of suffering. We can see that throughout the Word of God. Going through a hard time that we actually start to appreciate the the gifts God's given us and His nearness in the midst of those times. Some of us here, and I know different people's stories, have faced this terrible thing called cancer. Some have been healed. Some are still walking through it. Some have been um, brought to a place of health through the work of the medical team. I want to say in the midst of that, you recognize the many gifts of God. You can have gratitude and joy and you can rejoice. Because when you're able to enjoy a conversation, even though you've faced that thing, when you're able to wake up in the morning and see a sunrise, when you're able to uh, enjoy your husband or your wife and your children, and when you're able to enjoy a new day coming, not knowing if there would be any more days, I want to say you realize gift and you can rejoice, not because of that thing, but in the midst of it, you recognize God's goodness and you can rejoice in who He is because He's with you. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And so Paul is saying, become aware of the gift that we have in Jesus and the gifts that he's given us. Be aware to that. Be alert to that. Be awakened to that. Because God is the giver of wonderful gifts. Matthew 7, 11, Jesus says, If you then, though, are evil and know how to, good give, uh, how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven 
give good gifts to those who ask him. I had Andrew Willington call me uh, quite late last, uh, last night as I was preparing, and I was actually preparing around this, and he was just so excited. He said, George, I've got to tell somebody. I'm not going to interrupt anyone else at this time of night, so I don't know. He knew I was preparing, so he thought to interrupt me. But him and Veronica had been praying for just the, just the holiday. They said, Lord, just surprise us with your goodness. We want to get away. And um, someone had just phoned them and said, our timeshare is available and we can't go. Will you take it? He was so excited. I mean, he was, he's going off to a copa. I don't know how excited I'd be for that timeshare, but I mean, I'm sure it's going to be awesome. Don't tell him I said that. I thought he was off, the way he was celebrating, I thought he was off to Disney World or Orlando. Or, anyway, I hope it'll be wonderful. But, but the Lord is a giver of good gifts. For God so loved the world that he gave. And I want to say the difference in the church today as we gather here is some of us are unaware of the goodness of God. We're not coming and we're seeing. We're thinking, what good can come out of that? And others of us are aware. And we're seeing God's goodness. And I want to say, in your life, in my life, in this community, I want us to be aware so that we can celebrate who God is, so that there can be rejoicing in the house. And so he brings a different aspect to this. He goes on in, in, in verse 5, he says this, Let your gentleness be evident to all. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And let your gentleness be evident, uh, evident to all. I mean, that's a surprising verse. It's not too much of a, I mean, the first one was good, but that's not too motivational, especially for us men. We're not really wanting to be known for our gentleness. You know, to, not South African men, at least. For, for our little boys, we want them to be gentle when they're playing with the other kids and maybe gentle with the pets. We want our kids to be gentle in Sunday school. Today, they're doing an exercise where they're walking over um, raw eggs. And so... I want you to be gentle with them when they, they come back because that exercise might not go as planned and they might be covered in eggs. But gentleness isn't the greatest word. You know, if I want something to be evident, I'd rather it be authority and charisma and standing and poise and maybe anointing. Let that be evident to all. But gentleness isn't really on the top of my agenda. But Paul is knowing what's going on in the midst of that day. He's known that the, the Roman... The Romans have come and they've colonized Philippi. They're there with presence. He knows the way that they, they operate. The Roman way is power, it's might, it's coercion. It's Caesar is Lord. And he's recognizing this tension and this persecution that's coming. And in the midst of the strife and this tension, he's saying, let your gentleness be evident to all. Your grace, your love, let that be the declaration that Jesus is Lord. That's what he's saying to this church in Philippi. But you know, that's not like us today. I mean, we've obviously matured a lot, and we don't face those times of increased tension and where we want to just react and where we want to uh, instinctively fight back, and if someone comes at us, we want to come back with the same sort of force. That's not really us. We're not those sort of people that say things that we regret afterwards or maybe, maybe are caught up with imagining this argument, and if they say that, I'll say this, and, and then we think we're winning in our minds, so then we go and lay it on people. We don't do those sort of things, do we? A lot more mature than those people in Philippi who is saying, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let it be active. Let it be overflowing. Let it be visible. So if there's one or two of you who are like that, let me encourage you. 
Don't be defined by what you're facing. Be defined by who your father is and the identity you have in him. And then let, let that be the defining thing about you, wherever you might be placed. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Because it goes on to say why. Because the Lord is near. Let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. He's not far. He's not distant. He's not a couple steps behind or ahead. He is with you. Journeying with you. Working in you. Manifesting himself through you. God is with you. And so when it's saying let your gentleness be evident, it's saying let your kindness, let your forbearance, let your ability, that even in the midst of persecution you can react in a way that's gracious. Let that be evident about you because it will reveal that God is with you. We know that in Psalm 91 it says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Speaking of His presence, Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says, and surely I am with you. Did I say surely? There's a surely here, He's with you. But surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In John Chapter 14, he promises the Holy Spirit will be with us, in us, ever present. He's saying, have this confidence. We have the gift of access to the very person of who God is. So let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And then he goes on to say in Philippians 4 verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything. Really? Don't be anxious about anything? Anything, anything? There's a couple of things I, I feel that are pretty good reasons to be anxious. Maybe you've got a couple of those. Doesn't seem very realistic, but that's what Paul is saying here. And we understand anxiety. We understand worry. We understand those things. And he's saying, don't be anxious about anything. We understand that anxiety, that um, it's not going to free us of our past and it will control our future if it's active in our lives. We understand that anxiety can cause backache and headaches and all sorts of aches, and we can find ourselves not able to sleep, having ulcers. We understand that anxiety will become this monster. It will get bigger and bigger and bigger in our thoughts until it takes over everything. We live in a day and age where anxiety is something we see all around us. We've got great medication that we would happily share with you, not harvest, I'm talking generally. It's a bad illustration. There's great medication out there for those with anxiety because it's the plague of our day. And Paul is saying be anxious about nothing. The English word for anxious means to be strangled or to be choked. Maybe some of us here are feeling like that by this anxiety. It's the word, the root word is maris, which talks about parts. It means like you've been pulled into pieces internally in your innermost being. You feel like you're being torn apart. You know, your mind, your heart, it feels there's no wholeness to me. Whether it's big things, whether it's small things, whether it's just things that are seemingly inconsequential, this worry, this anxiety, it's all these things just start to bounce around. They're bouncing around. And maybe you're sleeping, maybe you're trying to rest, and in the midst of all of that, you're lying still, but Inside, you are in turmoil. Even though you might be resting, you're racing. It feels like you are parked, but your foot's on the accelerator, and these thoughts are just bouncing around. 
these thoughts are going through your head. Maybe, maybe I didn't feed the animals before we got into bed. And did I really lock that outside door? And what did Ambly say to me in the car today? I'm sure it had to do with some boy. And what was that? I should have paid more attention to that. And maybe, you know, in the marriage, maybe I'm not treating Leanne as I should be. And what's that noise that I keep hearing in, in the kitchen? Maybe it's the fridge and I'm not a good enough provider because that thing needs to be fixed. And maybe, maybe that bill, I, I don't know what, on that visa, I never made that payment. What was that last item? I need to call them. And there's these thoughts racing and we cannot rest and we cannot sleep and they're bouncing around and there's this turmoil, turmoil going on. And you know, I'm not that good at maths, but when I'm feeling like this, I can look at the alarm clock and I can work out to the exact minute how much more sleep that I have. You know that? You experience that? And Paul is saying, do, be, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. It would seem that anxiety and prayer are opposed to each other, but he's saying, no, you should pray. And in this verse, he's listing three different types of prayer. He's saying there's the formal prayer, like when we're in church together. He's saying there's the, the other type of prayer that's petition. It's the word DSC. It's that gut-wrenching yell for help. Maybe you've driven through to Belito and, and you've been going and the car's going well and this light flashes and you realize I'm driving 20 kilometers over the, the speed limit and there's this gut-wrenching cry that comes out, Lord, help me and please might that have been lightning and not a camera trap. You experienced that? <laughs> Hasn't happened to me. Requests, when we come before him and we, we've got a list that we pray about. What Paul is saying here is we need to be praying. That's the right response to anxiety, but it's not a formula, it's a posture. It's where we come before him in relationship. It's where everything's bouncing around, but we choose to get on our knees and get still before God. No matter what is going on in life. Why? Because he's near. And there's a, there's a reality that comes about when we do that. It goes on, Philippians 4 verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Who's Paul chained to? Paul is chained to, uh, I'm sure, a large, burly Roman God so that he cannot run, cannot go too far, and the soldier is guarding over him. And that's the image that Paul is wanting to bring across to us as we're reading through this. In verse 4, verse 7, he says, And the peace of God, while he's chained to this other God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He's saying peace will stand guard and stand watch over you. If you'll recognize the nearness of your Lord and Savior. And he's saying it's a promise. This isn't something you need to do. This isn't something you can manufacture. This isn't something you can make happen. This is when God moves into action. And he does this on your behalf. He does it on my behalf. That we know that he's going to guard us. He's going to lead us. He's going to care for us and provide for us. And he's going to empower us so that we can live through and out of these things which have been weighing us down. These anxieties and worries. It's not saying he's going to make it all magically disappear. But what he's saying is no longer will this be soul, your sole responsibility, but rather you are going to be able to live and have a sense of responsibility, which is responding 
to my ability because I'm going to lead you through this thing. And all these thoughts and these fears, they're bouncing around. But God's declaring this. One Peter five verse seven. Cast all your anxiety onto him because he cares for you. John. Bit of a weak arm. Should have called on touch. <laughs> Cast all your anxiety onto him because he cares for you. And there's this thing we see here where we don't have to be anxious. And the reasoning is it's because we have access. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. I want to read something over us as we finish. But I just want you to take a moment as I threw that ball away that had been a representative of thoughts and worries that might be bouncing around in your head at this moment and in your life and your heart. I want you to just take a moment to, to just think, what did I walk in here with that I don't want to walk out with? Not because of a message, not because of positive thinking, but because I get to know my father, posture myself, my position and relationship with him, cast my cares onto him, and to know that I can be anxious about nothing and that his peace will guard over me. Just think about that for a moment. And then awake to and be alert to this. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Let me pray. Lord, I just pray for us as a community here this morning. Lord, there's those of us who have come in and we brought things in with us. Maybe it's just anxiety. Maybe it's um, shame. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's condemnation. Maybe it's worry. Maybe it's who knows what it is that might have been weighing us down. And there have been things that might have been of our own making and doing. There's been things that this world has put onto us, onto us that isn't there. There's the attack, the strategy, and the ploy of the enemy to come and weigh us down. And Lord, I want to thank you that we can turn to you. Lord, we hear those words echoing through the years. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And Lord, we choose to rejoice in you. We recognize your goodness and the gifts that you have given us the greatest gift of yourself, Lord Jesus, the wonder of knowing what it means to be a son and daughter of you, Father. Holy Spirit, your presence with us through it all. And I just pray that you come right now and you still the voices that have been going off in our head. You stop the racing of the thoughts. And I thank you that even as we acknowledge you and even as we position ourselves, that you, Lord, would come and that your peace would stand God over our hearts and over our minds. I pray that for every individual here. I pray this for this community. And I pray, Lord, right in the midst of the suffering, the, the toil, the circumstances we might be facing, Lord, I pray that we would encounter joy in who you are 
and that we would be able to rejoice and it will be something visible, tangible, evident to others as we live out of that space. I pray that in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen.